Well, we are in our final week of this sermon series called Multiply, and we've been learning together what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we've been discovering that being a disciple of Jesus is so much more than just knowing about Jesus. It's actually more like living like Jesus. Last week, we learned about the stages of discipleship, and we talked about how discipleship is really a lifelong journey, isn't it? And that a little bit like physical uh, maturity, there are some stages of spiritual maturity as well. And we learned that there are some catalysts along the way that can help us keep moving, keep maturing, keep us going deeper in our faith our whole life long. Well, today, we're going to see how each and every one of us, as disciples of Jesus, are called to reach even more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Each one, reach one, or be one, make one. Amen? Amen. Well, Jesus spoke some very important words, some of his final words, actually, to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead. And they are as much for us today as they were for those disciples way back then. These words come from Scripture, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, we are on a mission with Jesus to let people know the good news, that there is a God who loves them, there's a God who knows them, there's a God who wants them. And while Jesus was walking this earth, he showed us the very best way to do this. And that way is through relational discipleship. Jesus told us to go. Now, some people are called to go across the world. I know my wife Marge and I have loved having our oldest daughter, Sarah, home with us for the past couple of months. She's a missionary in Romania. But this coming Tuesday... She'll be heading back to her home in Cluj-Napoca. And she'll be heading back to her calling in Romania to make disciples of Jesus there. Yes, some people are called to go across the world. But most people, probably you and me, are called to go across the street, right? To a neighbor, to a friend. Or maybe we're called to go across the office to a co-worker with whom we can share Christ as an example. If you were here a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, you heard the sermon video from my wife Marge, and she talked in that video about how she was discipled by a co-worker some 25 or 30 years ago, um, and it's made a big difference in her life. Yes, we are called to make disciples as we go wherever that is, wherever we go. 
Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus' authority came from God, his father, our father. It didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from Caesar. It didn't come from the Jewish authorities of that day. And like Jesus, we are called to go forth with that same authority, with the authority of our Lord who died on the cross and rose again from the dead and who commissioned us to continue the work that he began of going and making disciples. It's a little word, isn't it? That little word, go. But it packs a punch, doesn't it? It's a verb that's used in the imperative. Go. It's a command. It's a simple word. It has a simple meaning, but it is a profound meaning. We use that simple word to start a lot of things, don't we? It starts races. If you've ever been in a 5K or a marathon, you know this. On your mark, get set, go. Back in the day when I was a lot younger, I ran a lot of races. On your mark, get set, go. And not once ever did that gun go off and everybody just stayed there thinking, hey, what do we do next? What, what comes now? What should I do? You know what to do. You go. So what does it mean for us to go? As you go, make disciples. I mean, where are we supposed to go? Again, Jesus showed us that making disciples is essentially relational. We are called to be disciple makers. And every single one of us is responsible to help the people around us develop their faith. These are the people that are already in our circle of influence. You see, we begin with the folks who are closest to where we already are. So discipleship can happen over the fence with a neighbor. It can happen at Lowe's or Kroger. It can happen over a cup of coffee with a friend. It can happen over lunch with a coworker. You see, we should always be developing strong, quality relationships with people who are not already believers because this allows us to further their understanding of the gospel as we live out our friendship together. Discipleship goes way beyond evangelism. It is more than teaching people about the right knowledge of God. A disciple models their behavior after Jesus. So making disciples of others helps them not only come to know Jesus as their Lord, but to model their behavior after his as well. Now, the early church was constantly growing, wasn't it? God initiated some amazing outward movement in those early days. Absolutely astounding movement, actually. The Holy Spirit moved those first disciples to preach in Jerusalem and then sent them out a little further to Judea and then even further to Samaria. And in Scripture, throughout the book of Acts, we read about the travels of those first disciples all throughout the known world, especially throughout the Roman Empire. And church tradition even tells of some of them going even farther afield than that. 
For example, Thomas, the apostle, is said to have taken the gospel to Persia and then on to India, and even some say as far as Indonesia and China. St. Andrew took the gospel to areas that today include the country of Georgia and, and Romania and, and Ukraine. And Bartholomew and Thaddeus are said to have taken the gospel to Armenia. Jesus said, go to those first disciples. And boy, did they ever. They went. Jesus says, go to you, too. Again, it might be to a distant land. But more than likely, he simply wants you to go and make disciples right where you already are. And when you share Jesus with another, in both word and through the way you model your life, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit will already be there, going ahead of you, preparing the soil, if you will, preparing that person for the love of God in Jesus Christ to take hold. We call this provenient grace. It's that grace where God is wooing himself uh, other people to himself everywhere in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes even before people are aware of it. John Wesley always assumed that God was working in the background of people's lives to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ or into a deeper relationship with him. And so we need to make that assumption too. We need to pray specifically for God to open the door for you to share your faith with a couple of other people. And when you do that, when you pray that, trust me, God will give you more than ample opportunities to do just that. And so you might be sitting there asking yourself, yeah, but what exactly am I supposed to share? Well, you know what? The best way that you can share the goodness of God with someone else is to simply share what God has been doing in your own life. Just a couple of nights ago, Marge and I and Sarah were sitting on the back deck and with some neighbors, and a neighbor of ours said, um, out of the blue, really, I just want to pray and thank God for what God's done for me. You see, she had hurt her ankle a couple of years ago, and for a while she couldn't walk. She loves to walk through the neighborhood. She couldn't dance. She loves to dance. And uh, she goes, I just want to thank God. So we did right there. This took like a minute, maybe, or two minutes at most. It's like, thank you, God. You're so good. You still are in the heal healing business today. You're still in the miracle business today. And there we were on our deck doing that. You see, her testimony was just that simple. You can share in a very practical way what God is doing in your life. You can share the impact that, that reading God's word daily is having in your life. You can share the difference that, that the church is making in your life. You know what? I love my church. Do you love your church? Amen. We have so much to love about this church. It's amazing. God is doing amazing things here, great things here. We have so many good things to share with people that we know and invite them as well. You see, our testimony should come very freely from our lips. Wherever God calls us, he wants us to bring the good news of the gospel with us. <coughs> Excuse me. 
So let's look at how the Apostle Paul talks about how important this is in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear about someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm struck by something in those two short verses. That sharing the gospel is actually portrayed as being done in layers, isn't it? It's not a once-and-done kind of thing. It's relational. It's done over time. You see, you can't call on a God that you don't believe in, and you can't believe in God unless you've heard about him. And you can't hear about him without someone preaching. I might use the word sharing in this case because preaching sounds like it's only for the pastor on Sunday morning, and that's not what we're getting at here at all. It's sharing what you know of the gospel, of what you know of Jesus. We are all called to share the gospel with others. The Apostle Paul is saying that we are all called to move our feet, you see, to walk into the lives of people and to share the good news with them. <coughs> the world is so desperate, so desperately in need for Christians who will share the love of Jesus with others. You see, we have a message, don't we? It's the greatest message the world has ever known and will ever know. It's a message of hope for the world. This message is that the Son of God came into the world and became holy man and holy God. That he lived a perfect and sinless life. That he loved and preached and healed and ministered to everyone he met. <coughs> Excuse me. And even when he was rejected by his own and condemned to die, he lived a life of love and forgiveness. He was crucified on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He died and was put in the grave. But on the third day, oh, on the third day, God raised him from the dead, defeating death in the grave once and for all time. You may have heard the expression sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although there's no evidence he actually ever said this, but the statement goes this way, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Have you heard that before? It's funny, but I believe it couldn't be more wrong. Because it is vitally important that we use words. Because words are the means by which God brings salvation to people. You see, we plant seeds in people with our words. And it's our duty as followers of Christ to share his story in words. It's then the Holy Spirit's job to bring those seeds we plant to fruition. So the early church exploded because everyone was always telling other people what they had experienced in Jesus. They told the story using words. They used words from Scripture, too. And they told what difference knowing Jesus was making or had made in their lives. As I was thinking about the title of this sermon, Each One Reach One, or Be One Make One. I was thinking about how that band of 12 believers became several hundred believers. 
became several thousand believers, and over the last two centuries, almost two and a half billion Christ followers are in the world today. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And then I thought about something else that absolutely blew my mind, and that is to think about this. If each one really did reach just one, why, that number would double, wouldn't it? (laughs) There'd be five billion Christ followers in the world today, and if each one of those Christians tried to reach just one, why, there wouldn't be enough people alive in the world to share the love of Jesus Christ with. There's only seven and a half billion people. Five billion would turn into ten. Talk about revival. Talk about spreading the kingdom everywhere, right? So we must share the gospel. We've got to share our testimonies using words. And we we must also model the faith which we profess by living our lives after the example of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.17. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Paul isn't saying that he's perfect. What he is saying is that he is modeling his life after the one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. And that the Philippians should do the same thing. That they should model their life just as Paul is modeling his life, following in the footsteps of Jesus You see, Paul's life was an example of how believers should live. And he also adds that there were other people, too. Maybe he's referring to Timothy, maybe someone else, who were also walking with God. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ can model for us, often in very practical ways, how we should walk with God. On this Father's Day... One of the people I think of is my dad. He modeled the faith for me by taking our family to worship God every single Sunday. And he modeled the faith for me by showing me how important it is to learn God's word and to study in Sunday school. We all did that, each and every one of us, adults and kids, every single week. He modeled the faith to me by using the gifts that he had been given by God to serve in our church. He modeled the faith for me by showing me how a Christian man loves and honors his wife. He modeled the faith for me by demonstrating that doing one's job with excellence is like working under the Lord and that no task is too menial or beneath what we can do. I also remember a senior pastor that I served with at my first church one night at a church-wide meeting, I don't remember now what the, what the topic was, but there was some heated discussion going on. And one of the gentlemen that was there that night got upset over something that was being discussed. And the man got up and he said he was leaving. He started right down the center aisle of the sanctuary. And I remember Pastor Robert going after that man, saying, wait for a minute on the meeting. And he ran after that man. And I don't know what he said, 
And I don't know how the spirit moved, but he calmed him down and he convinced him not to leave. And they both came back and joined the meeting. Then there was some peace and unity then. Just a couple of years later, a very similar thing happened to me at a small church that I was serving. Another man became upset with another church member. And he was leaving, and he said, I'm not coming back. And in that moment, I had this flashback of Pastor Robert running after that man. And so I got up, and and I went after Randy before he could get too far. And I told him how much we needed him in the church, how important he was in the church. And I told him um, that his views were important. And um, even though we might not always agree on everything, that unity in the church is still important. And uh, I pleaded with him to come back and like must have happened with pastor robert the holy spirit moved among us and randy came back inside and joined us too there are so many men and women to whom i am so gratefully thankful who have modeled the christian faith to me and shown me by their example their actions how to faithfully live a life serving Christ. There's a poem by an 18th century poet named Edgar Guest. It's called Sermons We See. I'd like to share a couple stanzas with you today. He writes, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. My friends, our lives are on display 24-7, 365. Our families, our neighbors, our friends, co-workers need to see our faith in Jesus in action. Now more than ever before, people need to hear and see the hope that is in the gospel message of salvation. And when you are an imitator of the Lord, you become a model of how a person of faith should live and act. Tertullian, one of the early fathers of the church, said that he and most of the early converts converts to Christianity were won to Christ not by books or sermons, but by observing how Christians lived and how they died. My friends, it still works the exact same way today, doesn't it? When we keep our focus on Jesus and living our lives out loud for him and for everyone to see, We will know the true joy of being our authentic selves in Jesus Christ, weaknesses and all. The good news is that we're not on our own in doing this. 
Jesus has promised to be with us always, to give us everything we need, even to the end of the age. He has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and to give us the words to say. Who is God prompting you to share your faith with? Who is God calling you to come alongside of and mentor in the faith? I want to share with you a new video clip of my wife, Marge. It shows one amazing way that God has used her since that co-worker helped bring her to Christ so many years ago. This video might be thought of as part two, if you will, and shows Marge and a young friend of ours named Jess. Take a look. So I met Jessica when she was 11 or 12 years old in seventh grade, and she was in our confirmation class at our church, and I was one of her mentors. And so she and I went through the confirmation process and um, went away to camp and had a great time and got to know each other and um, really started her on her faith journey. And um, after confirmation, as she was in high school, um, I continued um, being in touch with her. And Jess and the other young lady and I did a Bible study on every young woman's battle. And we would meet every week at the Chinese buffet and eat some food and talk about awkward subjects mm -hmm. um, and what God had to say about them. And it wasn't until after going to that Chinese restaurant and you know, meeting weekly um, that we really built this foundation of trust and you know, she quickly became a, a big influence in my life and um, a mentor, second mom basically. She really started pouring into me and being an example of what a Christian is and what a disciple is. And then just graduated from high school and we stayed loosely in contact. But her mom would stay in contact with me. Um, Jess took some really hard turns in her early 20s that um, caused a lot of concern for a lot of people. There was a time where I wasn't close to God anymore. I had kind of gone down my own path, I guess you could say. I wasn't living the life that I was supposed to live. And um, Marge and I weren't as close, unfortunately, during that time. Um, but through that, she really pushed for me to get to where I needed to be, um, come back and live the life that she knows I'm supposed to live. Her mom and I had a pact that we prayed that God would bring her back, and he did. Mm -hmm. And now she is a married young woman, has a wonderful husband, and is living uh, the life that, that God created her to live. They were constantly fighting for me, um, praying for me. You know, I, I didn't see it at that time, but afterwards, um, it was really nice to know. And then over time, Marge and I became close again, probably closer than before. Um, I work for her now, so getting to see her a lot more than I was is just 
extremely great. I mean, she she's such a great example. Um, just how she interacts with everyone and how she carries herself. I mean, just perfect. Now I am happily married to a, an amazing Christian guy. Um, Pastor Mark actually married us and we go to church every Sunday. We have Christian friends that we all pour into each other. We are so excited to live this Christian centered life and build that foundation for our kids so that I can take what Marta's um, equipped me with and then do what she did with confidence um, to then disciple onto others. All I can say is I just love the strong Christian woman you have turned out to be. I've loved to see God work in your life and just have you be the woman you are now. And I love you. I love you. I get a little teary watching that. I watched it a few times so I wouldn't be a puddle standing before you today. You know, Jessica has grown from a junior high girl when we first met her, exploring her faith, to a beautiful young Christian woman of God in the 14 years that we've had the privilege of knowing her. Who is one person that you can disciple? Who can you pour into? As you leave worship today, I would ask you to pick up one of these tags. They're in baskets in the narthex as you leave. There's a prayer on it. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with Christ's love and power. Send forth your spirit and renew our home, church, and community. Open the hearts of blank, blank, and blank to know your love and give me courage to share your love with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Who is God nudging you right now? What name or names is he bringing to mind that you can tell the good news of what God's doing in your life right now and bring them to faith as too? My friends, God will open doors and opportunities for you to share your faith in Christ with others. And all we need to do is ask. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks and praise for the good news of the gospel that was shared with us by someone at some time, whether it be our parents, another family member, a co-worker, a friend or a neighbor, a student in school. God, we're thankful for those that have passed on the gospel in words. And God, we're so grateful too for the men and women that you've put in our lives that have lived lives of examples for us of what it means to live as a follower of Christ. Lord, would you bring to mind one or two or more people that we can do the same thing, that we can pour into, that we can share what we've come to know in word and in our actions to continue furthering your kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.